One of the challenges that we face in an ongoing way is the inner turmoil that we have to accomplish something or gain something from our endeavors. As we learn from Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, God has placed within our hearts eternity. People try to fill that eternity with work, with artistic accomplishments, athletic accomplishments, academic accomplishments. We drive hard after money, entertainment, and other sources of pleasure. It's, it's a, an unending pursuit within us. There are many manifestations of this challenge. When these kinds of pursuits prove unfulfilling or we fail at them, there are other ways that our deceptive nature tends to deal with that inner turmoil. When we experience a lack of satisfaction from our pursuits or failure in our pursuits, there is a tendency uh, within us to throw our hands in the air and either throw ourselves into laziness or a uh, dependent behavior of some sort. There are all kinds of ways that that manifests itself when our pursuits are not fulfilling. We find something to try to meet that need. So this inner turmoil has many sets of clothing. Human nature will anything itself to death. Human nature will anything itself to death. Work itself to death. Please itself to death. Lust itself to death. Sleep itself to death. Our nature craves all kinds of matters to satisfy and what it leads us to is the grave. We might work ourselves to death. We might entertain ourselves to death. We might relax ourselves to death. But in the face of these temptations and tendencies, God has provided rescue for us. Rescue from those pursuits. Rescue from those strivings. Rescue from that endless, unfulfilling desire within us. He's provided rescue. In the law of Moses, God has provided a recurring call for rest. On the seventh day of each week, God called for His people to cease their strivings. To cease their labors. God called for His people to cease their normal workday activities. To set aside time for solemn rest. Sacred rest. Healthy rest. This command contained in the Ten Commandments It was woven right into the creation week. You'll remember from Genesis chapter 2, this statement in verse 2 where it says, on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. He finished something, and He was done, and then He rested. The question is, was He tired? Was he mentally and physically drained? 
He spoke the world into existence. He crafted man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. The Almighty God was not tired when He was done with His six days of creating this world. Earlier in our Scripture reading, we read through Psalm 121. I'll reference just verses 3 and 4. Speaking of our God, He will not let your foot be moved. He will keep you, or He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He doesn't need to sleep. He doesn't have a body that needs regeneration. He's the Almighty God. He is the source of life. He's the source of strength. He's the source of everything. God didn't rest on the seventh day because He was tired, but to provide a pattern to protect man, you, me, to protect us from running ourselves into the ground. And to reserve a day separate from other days designed for this rest and worship. One of the patterns that we see even before the institution of the commandment to Sabbath is we see God providing for His people day after day, the manna and the quail, day after day. They would go out every day and gather. But on the sixth day, they were to gather, what? Twice as much and keep the second portion for the Sabbath day so that they would trust God that that manna wouldn't become worm-filled like the days if they kept it on the other days. They didn't have to go out and and gather and make bread and and take care of themselves. They, They were to trust Him in what He provides. God was calling them to believe Him and to trust Him and to rest in His provisions and remember the One from whom those provisions came. The purpose of the Sabbath in that regard was that they would see God can take care of you. You don't need to get it for yourself. He provided every day. Our God knows how quickly we forget the source of our blessing. He repeatedly warns His people and reminds His people of our need to remember Him. You can hear it. It's an echo in Jeremiah's re, um, recording of God's message. You'll remember this from Jeremiah 2 and verse 13. They have forsaken Me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You, you've forgotten that I am the source of giving you life. You found another way and the way you've chosen doesn't work is the essence of Jeremiah's recounting of God's message. Similarly, in the book of Hosea, God speaking about Gomer, He says, she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold. So this is about Hosea's wife, Gomer, who was representative of the people of Israel. You forgot that I'm the one that gave you all of this. You forgot that I'm the provider of all these things. You forgot to rest in me and believe me. Don't I care for you? Don't I love you? Haven't I spoken tenderly to you? 
Aren't I the one that, that was there to watch your first steps and to embrace you? Aren't I that one that cared for you all this time? I gave you all of those things. God reminds them. The Sabbath served both as a time to rest and a time to remember the good hand of God. As God's message unfolds, we're given additional ways to rest in Him and to remember Him like we will do this morning. Our celebration of the Lord's Supper is a time to rest in the accomplishments of our God through Christ. And it's a time to remember the source of our greatest blessing. So this morning as we look through these texts of Scripture and think about Jesus dealing with the Sabbath and, and, and its fuller scope as best we can in the limited time we have, we're also going to be recognizing that the rest provided in the Sabbath is a rest that is fully provided in Christ. And we celebrate that and remember that through our celebration of the Lord's table. So now let's take a look at our text this morning. We're in John chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 9 through 17. John chapter 5, verses 9 through 17. We'll start in verse 8 to remember Jesus' command to the man who was paralyzed. He said, Jesus. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. Or take up your pallet and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took his bed or his mat or his pallet and he walked. He was walking around. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. And it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the tabernacle or the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus performed this work on the Sabbath with great intent. He could have done this the day before. He could have done this the day after. But he did this on the Sabbath day. He was illustrating in this text the warped, distorted patterns that the Jews had created and showing a better pattern while teaching and revealing his true identity who he really was. In verse 10, the Jews charge this man and say, carrying around your mat, your pallet, your bed, carrying this around 
is unlawful. This is a violation of the Sabbath. You are carrying a burden on the Sabbath. This is their charge. And uh, likely, Jeremiah 17 is the reference that they are referring to. Jeremiah 17 spoke of the blessing that would result from not bearing a burden on the Sabbath or from doing any work on the Sabbath. And a best understanding of what's being revealed there in the actual law as opposed to the extrapolated law of the Jews, best understanding is that God told them not to do their regular activities. Not to carry around a burden for the sake of Saturday being just like Friday or Thursday or Wednesday or Tuesday or Monday or Sunday. A different day. Not to conduct their regular business. Not to carry a burden to conduct business on the Sabbath day. Don't don't carry your goods outside the city wall or carry someone else's goods inside the city walls. That would just be treating the Sabbath day as another day when God had designed for it a, a reason for rest. It was not intended, the Sabbath, and this restriction of not carrying a burden was not intended to be a burdensome, grievous restriction. And those of us who know Christ, those on this side of the cross, those with fuller revelation of who God is, understand that God's commands are not grievous. They've been fulfilled in Christ and He has kindly offered to us instruction that is healthy and good for life. As opposed to seeing these, these commandments as something that if, if I can only just get these commandments right, God will be okay with me. God will accept me. That's a burden that no man has ever been able to bear except one. The man Christ Jesus. Every other man with that enduring challenge of the commands being a pathway toward Righteousness has crumbled desperately under those demands. But God didn't give forth the Sabbath day instructions to be a burden to be cursing us. When the Sabbath day is viewed as a burden to be endured rather than a provision of God's protection and blessing, its purpose is distorted. So I want to illustrate that a little bit by reading from Everett Ferguson in the backgrounds of early Christianity. Listen listen to this. He captures this well. He writes, Admittedly, the rules for the Sabbath are like mountains hanging by air. For Scripture is scanty and the rules many. The Mishnah, which is a Jewish book extrapolating laws, the Mishnah lists 39 classes of work deduced from the Scriptures that were forbidden on the Sabbath. These 39 principles, or excuse me, these 39 principal activities were defined to cover the cognate operations. For example, grinding included rubbing hands together or rubbing grains in the hands. Exodus 16.29 was understood as prohibiting travel on the Sabbath. The effort to define what a person's own place and what constituted going out led to the limitation of 2,000 cubits on a Sabbath day journey. Now, you know what 2,000 cubits is? Cubit approximately, 18 inches approximately. So you're talking about 3,000 3, feet. You go, go a half mile and 
You're done. But they had ways of getting around that. It was possible to extend the distance by depositing some of one's possessions within a 2,000 cubit distance from home so as to make that too part of one's domicile and thereby extending it by another 2,000 cubits from that spot to travel onward. So it's like, what are we doing here? All right, I can only go 2,000 steps, but if I put you know, my hat 2,000 cubits away, well, I get another 2,000 cubits. How far can you do this? <laughs> and, and at what point are we dealing with just the letter of the law, spirit of the law, what's going on here? Certain activities, he goes on, took precedence over the Sabbath command, such as circumcision and sacrifice in the temple. When human life was in danger, the Sabbath laws could be set aside, by, uh, but since uh, Isaiah 58.13 had rebuked pursuing business on my holy day, the ordinary practice of medicine was considered a violation. The Pharisees allowed rescuing an animal, but the Essenes did not. You can see what we're, we're seeing. This is just a commentary on what the Jews did with these Sabbath laws. The Jews put fences or hedges around the Sabbath laws. Uh, here are a few more of those extrapolated rules. Ready? They were not able to pick up anything that weighed more than a dried fig. Now, so I read this, so I, don't, I can't verify this, but I, what I heard is, if you pick up a dried fig and put it to your mouth, and it was rotten, and you spit it out, you were allowed to pick up a half of a dried fig and put that in your mouth. It's like, really? Alright, that's pretty good. Um, they would need to be careful not to drag a chair across their home for fear that it would dig a trench and it would be like plowing. Uh, we already mentioned the 2,000 cubit limit. There are some other interesting ones about looking in the mirror and not you know, pulling out hairs and these kinds of things. But can you just imagine, can you see how burdensome it would be to start figuring out, well, I picked up a, a dried fig. Um, I'm really hungry still. I need to pick something else up. But it's the Sabbath day, so I probably can't pick up another dried fig. I'm just, I guess I'll just be hungry. Does this sound burdensome does this sound does it sound restful to have your mind i hope i don't do something wrong i hope that i won't violate the sabbath and and ultimately be killed can you see how when isaiah 58:13 talks about the sabbath being a delight they were turning it into a curse God's design for the Sabbath was the good of mankind, not the weighty burden that was associated with the religious crowd. As we look at how the Lord Jesus dealt with the Sabbath, it's not an attitude about violation, but an observance of blessing. It's about an observance of blessing. If we could summarize Jesus' patterns and statements regarding the Sabbath, we would gather these kinds of rules or thoughts, excuse me. First of all, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a gift for man to rest, not a restriction that would cause him harm. And it, it equates Jesus' thought 
with how this is recorded in Exodus 23.12. Listen to this passage. It's not on the screen. I'll just read it to you. In Exodus 23.12, six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest. And the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. God was not just concerned about them. Their animals needed rest. And foreigners, people outside needed rest. And people that served on your property, employees needed rest. It was designed for people's good, not for some measuring stick of your spiritual standing. Second idea that we see from Jesus' teachings about the Sabbath, it is, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now that is recorded in a, a couple of places, but in the Matthew 12 communication of it, He has just healed a man who had a withered arm on the Sabbath day. And of course the Pharisees were not delighted with Jesus helping this man because that would be doing the, the acts of a, of, a, of a physician. And Jesus asked them, if you have some kind of an animal that falls in a trench, do you lift it out? If, you're, if your child falls in a well, you're just going to leave them there? No, you're going you're to go get them out. It is, it is lawful, it is appropriate to do good on the Sabbath. So the, the design of the Sabbath was for man's good, not for their harm. And here's a very important concept that we start to learn as the Scriptures unfold. This third truth. The Sabbath was not intended to be a burden or curse. It was designed to lift burdens. And Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, has become our Sabbath rest. Now that's not just some statement made up so that we don't have to think about it. This is the Scriptures. Take a look please with me at the book of Colossians chapter 2. Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath is our Sabbath rest. Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 16 and 17. Can you read verse 16 with me? Then you can stop reading and I'll read verse 17. Okay, So 16 together. Then I'll read verse 17. Ready? Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath was a shadow of rest. It was recurring and it was helpful. But real rest is found in the real substance that is Christ. He's the substance. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4 for a moment. In verse 1, we'll recognize that there is a promise that still stands to enter His Rest. Starts actually in chapter 3. Verse 18, they would not enter His rest. Verse 19, they were unable to enter 
Essentially, His rest. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Hebrews 4.1 Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. What is the it? What is the it? Not just rest. His rest. It's not just rest. His rest. Well, what in verses 2 and 3 was it that prevented the people from experiencing God's rest? Verse 2, For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those um, the promises were not united with, by faith with those who listened. But for we who have believed, what does it say? Enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. See the, the discontinuity between their lack of entering because they did not trust, they did not believe, so they did not experience God's rest. And those that do understand and believe God's rest, did you believe God? They experience God's rest. Look down a little bit further at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What, what rest? What is that rest like? It's very similar to that which is grounded right into the creation week. You've got six days that God did all His work and then He, he completed it. was done. And on the seventh day, He rested. There was nothing else to do to complete that creation work. Well, in like manner, we'll talk about this in a couple of minutes, there's something else that's been done for us in which we can rest. Look, look now at verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works as God did from His. So those that enter... God's rest, rest from their own works in the same way that God rested from His. Why did God rest from His works? Number one, because they were finished. And number two, to set up a pattern for our rest. But He finished the work. The reason that we can rest, truly rest, is because the work has been finished and so we can rest in those works. Uh, look a little bit further at verse 10 now. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. We'll talk more about that in a second. In a similar pattern to God entering His rest, having completed the work of creation, in this similar pattern, Jesus has entered into rest when He completed His work of redemption. I want to remind you of Jesus on the cross. We all remember the very succinct statement in John 19.30. It is 
finished. What's finished? The work. That's the sixth of seven statements of Jesus on the cross. Can you remember before it goes up, can you remember the seventh statement that Jesus made while He was on the cross? Alright, here it is. From Luke 23-46. Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. I'm done. I rest. Interestingly, what day of the week was Jesus crucified? According to most people. What day of the week would that be? Day six. What did Jesus do on the seventh day? He hung out in a grave. Rest. It's done. It's done. It's finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. You know, isn't that exactly what God is asking for you and I to say to Him? I'm yours, God. I, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have what it takes to be righteous. I see that I'm a sinner undone. I can't attain to this. Into Your hands, I commit my eternal soul. I see my sin. I see Your Son. I believe. I entrust my soul to You. And interestingly, in verse 11, He says, into this rest, whose rest? God's rest. Let us strive to enter. Labor to enter. Why is it a labor to enter into God's rest? Because within our hearts, within our lives is this inner striving. We're always scratching and clawing to get what we want. But here, it's provided. It's provided in Christ. Come, heavy laden, burdened, broken, failed, tired. Come, rest in Him. Jesus is our real enduring rest. We labor to rest in Him, which is looking to Him rather than ourselves. Paul, based on these kinds of discussions, based on the reality that Jesus is the substance of which the Sabbath is a shadow, speaks of the freedom that we have in Christ and not get bogged down in details. And he tells us in Romans chapter 14, one person esteems one day as better than another. While another esteems all days alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. God calls us now more than ever to a place of rest. But not rest in a day. Rest in Him. I'm glad we have a day that we come together 
And we remind ourselves of these things, and we do it several times in the week. We come together. We remind ourselves that it's finished. We remind ourselves and remind each other of what He's accomplished on our behalf. This is good. It's healthy. So we come together these several times in the week to remind each other of who the source of our lives and our salvation and our blessing and our rest is. We remind one another that it was Jesus who called us, inviting us like this in Matthew 11. Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I'm gentle and lowly in spirit, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. He invites us to come to Him. To receive from Him this rest. You can't find it anywhere else. You can pretend to. You can pretend to. But you know what happens when you try to rest. There's 8 million things on your mind. Something to do. Something to accomplish. It's tough. But in Him, it's done. There's nothing else to do. He's accomplished it. And that is at the heart of our celebration of the Lord's Supper.